Uh, There's quite a famous story about the Apostle John, uh, which is not in the Bible, uh, which, but which has quite a strong tradition attached to it in the early church. Many of you I know have heard it before. I've certainly mentioned it before. It's about the Apostle John in his old age. Uh, John was, in fact, the longest surviving of all the apostles. Most of the other apostles had been executed, but John survived and lived in Ephesus. And the tradition goes that every week they would bring John into the Ephesian church on a stretcher. Uh, this frail old man in his 90s, and every week they'd bring him up the front and John, on his stretcher, would lean up on one elbow and a hush, I would imagine, would come over the room. Here is the last living apostle of Jesus. wonder what he's going to say to us. And every week he would say exactly the same thing. Little children, love one another. And then he'd lie back down and they'd carry him out. And after a while, people, after they were getting tired of hearing the same five-word sermon week in, week out, they actually asked John why that was all he would ever say to them. And he reportedly replied, because it is the Lord's command. And if this is all you do, it is enough. Now, I don't know how reliable that particular tradition is, but it certainly rings true of what the Apostle John might have said. Because the lesson for us to be loving each other, that is peppered all through John's writings in the New Testament. Time and time and time again, John in his writings talk about loving one another. It's in today's passage. At first glance, it's a bit of a... um, disparate passage but I think it's all linked together with the idea of loving each other and in particular that we should do it, why we should do it and a little bit about how we should do it. Firstly it's that we should love one another that takes centre stage and John teaches us this with two different types of contrast in the text. There's a contrast between something that's old but also new and there's a contrast between light and darkness. Let's think about the old new thing. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, even though the word love does not appear in those first two verses, the context makes it pretty clear that this command, it's the one to love one another. Uh, That's what John is referring to here. That becomes obvious in a couple of verses' time because in verse 10, it's all about whoever loves his brother is living in the light. So this command that's both old and new, it's the command to love one another. So how is it an old command? Well, basically, it's because loving each other is very much the essence of the Old Testament law. Uh, Jesus said so uh, as much in his ministry to Israel, that the entire Old Testament law could be summed up by the commands to love God and love one another. So this commandment to love each other, it's old because it's all through the Old Testament, but John says it's, it's new as well. How does that work? Verse 8 tells us, Yet I am writing you a new command... Its truth is seen in him. See, it's with the coming of Jesus. It's seen in him 
that the command to love each other has become new because with Jesus, loving each other has taken on a whole new level. Because of Jesus, there's a whole new benchmark now for us to see what love is. That God himself would become a man. That God would go through what he went through for us. That someone so great would be prepared to give up so much to be treated so badly for the sake of others who don't at all deserve it. That's an extraordinary love. And as such, with Jesus, you see, a whole new standard of loving other people has now been, revo- has now been revealed. It involves sacrificing yourself in costly ways, inconvenient ways, for people who may not even love you back. That's what loving others now involves. Its truth is seen in him. And as such, an old commandment has become new. We'll think about that a lot more as this letter goes on. But for now, as big as that news is, it's going to get even bigger because as followers of Jesus, you and I get caught up in this old command becoming new as well. See, come back to verse 8 again. You may have noticed I was a bit naughty and I stopped reading that verse mid-sentence. Let's now finish the sentence because it's here that you and I get mentioned And it's here that the contrast between old and new gives way to a contrast between light and dark. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. That last phrase about darkness passing and true light shining, it's drawing on the image of a sunrise. Because you know how when the first rays of morning light are spreading over the horizon, you know how more and more things just start to be engulfed in light as the day dawns? That's what it's like with Jesus' love. As Jesus' love spreads out across the landscape and more and more people become uncovered by it, more and more people are engulfed in Jesus' love, more and more people are changed by Jesus' love, changed into people who in turn love each other the way Jesus loved them. It's a wonderfully vibrant image illustration that John is using here of this whole new benchmark in love, sacrificial, costly love, Its truth is now not just seen in Jesus, but in his followers as well. As pocket after pocket after pocket after pocket of followers of Jesus come into existence in this world as the true light shines on them and Jesus, through his love, creates new communities of changed people who also love each other as as he has loved us and a profound new day dawns. All of which means, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Now this idea of the person claiming one thing but denying it by their actions, it's taking us back to last week, isn't it? Remember that? Uh, Last week was all about how people were claiming to follow God but they, they... they weren't be, and it showed in their actions because they weren't obeying it. Well, well, here again, John is listing off another telltale trait of the authentic follower of God. Last Sunday, it was about obedience. You can tell the true follower of God because they obey what God says. This week, it, it, it's loving one another. 
And that one of the ways you can tell if someone truly does follow God or whether they simply say they follow God, one of the ways you can tell that is whether they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember, Jesus has ushered in this dawn of a whole new era of love. And so if you're not loving others, you're obviously not living in the light of the new dawn. Clearly not genuine. Anyone who claims to be in the light hates his brother, still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Friends, this lesson uh, does a demolition job on that old chestnut that often gets trotted out. You know, have you heard the one about, I'm a Christian, I'm into Jesus, I'm just not much into going to church. I'm a Christian, love Jesus, don't... Don't need to be a part of a church to be a Christian. And look, at one level I get that. Uh, Being a Christian is about being forgiven through death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Being a Christian is not based on doing things like going to church. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. I, I get that. But I wonder whether the Apostle John would respond by saying that if you don't want to be part of a church family, what on earth makes you think you're a Christian In the first place, it's what we do. These Bible talks get recorded, go all over the world. If you're listening to this talk at the moment in the car or at home or on a run and you're keeping your distance from a church family for whatever reason, don't do it. It's not who we are. We're people who've been transformed by the love of Jesus. We live in the light. We love to love each other. We love to be with each other. We love to encourage each other. It's one of the telltale signs of who we are. I don't think in his wildest dreams John could ever imagine a fair income follower of Jesus saying they don't want to be part of a church family. They don't want to be part of loving other believers. Which is exactly what leads John on to the next few verses, where having now stated that we should be loving one another, he explains to his readers why they should be loving one another. And it's got nothing to do with keeping rules and doing the right thing. It's got to do with just who they are and wanting to do the right thing. See, look with me at verse 12. Verse 12. I write to you, dear children, because, see, here comes the reason why he's been saying all this stuff about loving one another and living in the light. Here's why they need to hear it and why they should be doing it. It's because, well, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And you see the repetition? I write to you because you have. I write to you because you have. I write to you because... And notice what they have. Verse 12, they've got forgiveness. Verse 13, knowing God, overcoming the evil one, knowing the Father. Verse 14, knowing God again, the word of God living in them, overcoming the evil one. These are all the blessings of being one of God's children. 
Clearly, John is reassuring the church that he's writing to. He's reassuring them that they truly are God's family. In fact, he even repeats some of the things for emphasis. Both verses 13 and 14 open with exactly the same thing. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And by that repetition, he's effectively saying, guys, I really, really want you to know. You know him. Because remember again last week, this is a church family who are surrounded by fakes. There are people going around saying that they're the true people of God when they're not. There are people going around claiming that they have eternal life when they don't. There are other people going around saying that they know the real truth about Jesus, but they don't. And so last week, John told them to please, he told this church family, don't be anxious about those phonies. Let me encourage you. You're the real people of God because you're into obedience. And this week he's saying that the real people of God, they're into loving each other. And that's you. You know God. You're forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. He's writing to encourage them. I hope you're hearing this as an encouragement this morning. Because many of you are wonderful at loving each other. Dropping in, make sure everything's okay because you miss seeing someone here on a Sunday morning. Many of you are busy providing meals for each other, doing people's shopping, doing people's housework, minding other people's children. As I speak, people are loving us by teaching our children about Jesus. Some of you arrive early, leave late, so as to pack up, so as to clean up, so as to practice. Some of you are always on the lookout for visitors and new people. Some of you are feeling really stretched to get into a growth group, but you're determined to do it out of love for the others in the group. Some of you struggle with young kids to get ready in time just to be here, but you're determined to do it so as to encourage others. Some of you might be sitting there at the moment just plain exhausted from loving others. Dear brothers and sisters, it's testimony to the fact that your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. It's testimony to the fact that you know him who is from the beginning. It's testimony to the fact that you have overcome the evil one. It's testimony to the fact that the word of God lives in you. It's testimony to the fact that you are truly a Christian. Because loving each other, it's just what we do. I hope you feel encouraged. Mind you, that doesn't stop John from finishing out this morning's section with a comment about how better to go about loving one another and rather ironically it's got to do with loving the world less verse 15 do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him now it's important to understand what john's getting at here because there is a sense in which we should love the world god himself we're told loved the world so much he gave his one and only son John 3.16, one of the most popular verses in the Bible. So loving the world in terms of caring for the world and wanting what's best for the world, that's a good and godly thing to do. But here in verse 15, when John says, do not love the world, he's referring to loving the world in a selfish way. 
Okay? He's referring to loving the world in a wrong way. He's referring to chasing after and pursuing the godless things of this world. The next verse spells that out for us, verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, they're the things of the world that John is telling us not to love. They're listed. Sinful cravings. Don't love that. Lust. Don't love that. Boastful pride. These are all things that are about ourselves, aren't they? Uh, Fulfilling what I want to do. Satisfying my cravings, my wants, the lust of my eyes, achieving what I want to boast about. And John's saying, hey, don't, don't love those things. Don't chase after that. They don't come from God. And in its context, I think John's making a really helpful point about how to ensure that we're loving one another as best we can. Because so often, is it not so often that the choice will come to us to either love someone else in this room or instead to selfishly love the things of the world. So often it comes down to that simple choice. Do I miss my favourite television program this week? Or will I visit that person who I know is doing it tough at the moment? Do I go for the best house and the best car and the best holiday that I can possibly afford or do I deliberately cut back so that I have more free money to help out the others in my church family? Do I fill up my week with my sport and my hobby interests or are the first things that go in my diary the things to do with loving my church family? So often it's that simple choice. Will we selfishly love ourselves and the world? Or am I going to love the other people in this room? John here is saying at the end, don't love the world. Go with loving others. Maybe it would be helpful when you get home this morning to think about your week ahead. Perhaps do a bit of an audit on how you were going to spend this week. Review how much of the week was going to be about you and the world and how much of this coming week is going to be about loving others. Maybe in the light of this morning's passage, it would be good to adjust some of the things you are planning to do this week so as to better reflect who you are so as to better live up to who you want to be. Because don't forget the tone here. John is writing to people who have been forgiven. He's writing to people who know the Father. He's writing to people who are living in the light and so he's urging them not to love the world but to love one another, not because they have to, but because of who they are. See, back when I was younger and vaguely fit, uh, I used to play competition squash. Hard to believe, I know, but it's true. Back then, every now and then, we had a friend of ours who would occasionally visit Dubbo. Uh, He was a really, really good squash player. And so when he would be visiting, Grant and I would go for a hit and he'd offer me some uh, lessons. And every time he did, every single time, Grant would tell me exactly the same things. 
Step into the ball. Keep your head down. Don't swing your arm like a tennis shot. Use more elbow. Every time, exactly the same things. And I didn't mind hearing it again. I needed to keep hearing it again. I wanted to keep hearing it again because I wanted to improve. So also the lesson of little children love one another. That lesson that John kept repeating in his old age, that lesson that's all through this morning's passage. Because I dare say many of you this morning have not heard anything new whatsoever. Loving one another, a love being a telltale sign of being a Christian, perhaps needing to love the world less. Heard it all before. Nothing new happening for you this morning in tonight's passage at all. But that's okay. We don't mind hearing it again. We need to hear it again. We want to keep hearing it again. Because the darkness is passing. And the true light is already shining. And we live in the light. So loving one another, it's who we are. It's what we do. There'd be something wrong with us if we didn't. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Let me pray. Father, thank you for loving us in such an extraordinary way that even an old command has become new in the light of the way Jesus has loved us. Thank you for his sacrificial death on our behalf, even when we were sinners even when we wanted to have nothing to do with him. Thank you. And thank you that you have given us a church family, a community in which we can love each other like that. Help us to do it. Help us to do it better. We want to. Amen.